Well, as I said earlier, we're in our series, One Month to Live, where we have been asking the question, what would you do if you only had 30 days left to live? What would you do? And we said, well, we would live passionately. Remember that discussion a couple weeks ago? And then last weekend, we said we would love completely. And this weekend, we're going to learn about how to learn humbly, how to gain humility out of that experience. And we've been using these hourglasses up here to remind us of how short our time is. And I've asked two students that they would come up and uh, let the sand start to fall out of that. You can let it go as slow or as fast as you guys want, okay? And while they're doing that, um, I want to remind you of a question that I asked last weekend. Remember I said we shouldn't just be asking what would I do if I only had 30 days left to live? I said we also need to ask, just pull it straight out. Just pull on it. Pull it back. They probably put bubble gum on that one. No, just pull it. He pulled. Oh, here. Let, let's do it together. All right? Hand in hand. Ready? And pull. Very good. Well, my goodness, my life will be over in another minute. Very good. There you go. All right. Cool. Good job. Let's give them a hand. <clears throat> so I invited you to ask another question, right? And I said, the question you should also be asking is, what would I do if the person I cared about, if my loved one or my friend only had 30 days left to live? And I said, let's go out this week and live toward others as though they only had 30 days left. How many of you actually did that? Let me see your hands. Whoa, wow, I, man, I'm telling you, our relationships in this church are in bad shape. I mean, only four or five of you did. How many of you have children? Let me see you. Raise your hands. Put them back down. How many of you kids have, or how many of you parents have children that forget to do their homework? Let me see your hands. Yes, well, you forgot to do your homework, right? So guess what? You get another week to practice that. So this coming week, I want you to behave toward others as though they only had 30 days left to live. It will change your relationships. Don't you agree? You forgot, right? How many of you forgot? Let me see your hands. Everybody's hand goes up. How many of you just don't give a rip? Let me see your hands. Oh, please. All right. I want, you to, I want you to practice living that way. This morning, we're going to talk about how to learn humbly. You know, I've had the opportunity to be with people when they get the news from the doctor or from the report that their life on earth truly is going to be over quickly. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's going to be a matter of, of a few months, or it might be six months, or a year, or just two years. And when I, when I watch these folks hit that news, they kind of go through a cycle. A cycle that starts with, you know, denial, and then anger, and then sadness, and finally acceptance. Now, except for maybe a few that I've observed, those who are followers of Jesus, I've noted that as they go through that process, they actually get to a point where they obtain what I want to call a sweet humility. Because when you know that your life is going to run out, all of a sudden there's a whole lot of things that you've been worried about and caring about that don't matter anymore, right? Not only that, but your pride begins to crumble and break and fall apart. And as your pride crumbles and falls apart, a sweet humility comes out as you have to learn to depend on the grace and the strength of God. But listen... The grace and the strength of others. But here's the strange thing I've noticed with these folks. Is that as this humility comes out of their life, they end up being more of a blessing to us than we are to them in our attempt to care for them and serve them and meet their needs. Have you noticed that? 
they end up blessing us so much. And the question is, why? What becomes so special about their lives? It is the increasing absence of pride that makes them so special. And you see, that's what happens in your life and my life. When there's an increased absence of pride, there is a sweetness that replaces it. A sweetness that replaces it. This morning, we're going to talk about how God uses or allows weakness in our lives to displace our pride to bring us into a place of sweetness. We're going to look at how our own circumstances that we create for ourselves, sometimes by our sinfulness and our mistakes and our bad choices, how God can even use that to bring out the sweet aroma in our hearts and in our lives. Talking about weaknesses, I want you to turn with me just for a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, to the Apostle Paul, who dealt with weakness in his life. You know, Paul was truly a very strong individual. And uh, you get a sense that, that he was very independent and, and uh, liked to be in control as much as possible. But there's some things that happened in his life that over time kind of broke him and brought a sweetness of humility out of his life. And we read about one of those instances in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's had these tremendous revelations of heaven, he tells us about earlier in the chapter. And then he talks about this humility that comes into his life to keep him from becoming proud. And I want to pick it up in verse 7. It says, because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, those are pretty strong words, right? Torment me. In other words, this is something that really vexed Paul's soul. It's something he really struggled with in a big way. It says, but he said to me, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, what? Then I am strong. In other words, Paul says, God, take this away from me. I don't like this weakness, whatever it was. And God says, no, Paul, I'm going to use it in your life to move you toward me, to depend on me. And Paul all of a sudden realizes, hey, you know what? When I accept my weaknesses, when I come to terms with it, guess what? That's when I realize true power. That's when I realize the sweetness of humility in my God dependence. But here's the problem, young, pe- young people. Listen to me. The problem for us is we don't like to be weak. We don't like to be in a state where we're not in control. We like our independence. We like to be in charge, don't we? How many of you like it? Let me hear an amen. Yeah, we all like to be in control, in charge. And we hate it when something shakes our life, whether it's something that happens to us that we can't control or whether it's the result of bad choices, bad decisions, things we shouldn't have said, things we shouldn't have done. We don't like that, and we attempt by every means possible to regain control again. To, to power ourselves through it in our own strength, in our own pride. Kind of reminds me of this motocross bike, which our friend Cheryl, who I think sponsors a team, uh, uh, lent to us. Are you here, Cheryl? Where are you? Thank you very much. Let's give her a hand for letting us borrow this. Very cool. I just wish they hadn't put it so close to the edge. All right? 
But uh, I want you to imagine for just a minute, all right, that this, this is not mine, but this is my motocross bike, right? And uh, I, I wanted to impress you, so I came over to your house. And I said to you, you want to you see how, how powerful this thing is? And you're like, yeah, sure. So then I, I get it, and I go, vroom, 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 vroom. And I'm going down your, your street, your cul-de-sac. I'm going, vroom, 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 vroom. Watch as brakes. And then, you know, I, I say, watch, I can back it up. Vroom, 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 vroom. And I'm backing it up. Your neighbors are all coming out to watch, right? Vroom. And I'm saying, I'm this best friend. And then I pull it up and I go, vroom, vroom, vroom. And I stop. What would you think? You'd probably think that I was a few French fries short of a happy meal, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh, man, what is wrong with him? He'd be like, what are you doing? Don't you realize that thing has an engine and it has power? It's got a motor. Why don't you use that? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I never thought about that. My legs were getting really tired. You know what? As ridiculous as that is, that's the picture of a lot of us going through life, trying to do life in our own power and our own strength, trying to make it happen, make it go. And, you know, it's like God and the angels are in heaven looking at us going, what is that? What is she doing? What's he doing? Don't you realize they have power that, that they can tap into? I mean, power and strength that I've given to them? So, you know, I can't sit here and not check it out. Huh? Isn't that fun? You guys want to go for a ride? Of course. i got to stop because it would be fun to go down the steps and up the aisleway. <laughs> but my days are over. But you know what? I think God looks at us sometimes and, and just wonders, you know, why, why don't you tap into my power? What does the Bible tell us? You know those verses. Greater is he that is in me than what? He that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who what? It doesn't say he weakens me. It says he strengthens me, right? But, you know, we just feel like we got to do it in our own power. And when we're really, you know, when we're out of control and stuff happens in our life, you know, motocross racing is a lot like life. I don't know how much you know about it, but I've kind of learned a little bit about it lately. You know, in motocross racing, you have, you have bumps, and you have curves, and you have turns, and you have hills that you're having to deal with and, and work through. They even have these things they call whoops that are like a series of fast little bumps like that. And sometimes in motocross, you'll watch them, and they're like flying through the sky, man. They're in control. And sometimes they fall off their bikes, and they crash really hard and really big. You know, sometimes they're going down the straightaway and heading the curb, and they get biffed, man. They just get flung right off, and it can be ever so painful. Have you, have you noticed that life is a lot like that? You know, you just you face bumps through life. Sometimes you spine yourself in a, you know, in a tough turn, in a big curve. Sometimes you're flying high, and the stock market drops out from underneath you, and you crash, right? Sometimes you're going along so smooth in a relationship with your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend, and bang, man, you get flipped off the corner. You're like, what happened there? Sometimes you're hanging out with your friends, right? And you're having a great time with them, and then they backstab you or gossip about you, and boom, all of a sudden, you're off the bike, and you're like, what is that all about? How do you recover from those moments? What do you do when life just flings you across the track and you're hurt and you're injured? What do you do when you've messed up yourself? It's your own fault. And it's not the first time. It's the fifth time, the twelfth time, the hundredth time. What do you do? Write this down. First of all, you learn from your losses. You learn from your losses. And I want us to look at one of the team members on 
on Jesus' motocross team. His name was Peter, and he was quite the rider. At least he thought he was. And uh, I want us to look at how Peter had a major crash in his life that finally broke him, that finally brought out of him the sweet-smelling aroma of humility and sweetness. You know, when Jesus met Peter in John chapter 1, he said, you're Simon, he says, but you're going to be called Peter, which means you are going to be the rock. But there was a process of breaking in Peter's life till he became the man of God that God could use. Remember the stories of Peter? He was kind of passive-aggressive sometimes with Jesus. And trying to maintain control and prove himself. Like the one day when they were out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and I think it's Luke chapter 5. And uh, Jesus is speaking to the crowd, and he's finished and says, let's go fishing. And Peter rolls out, and then the Lord says, let the net down. And Peter looks at him, and he says, you don't catch fish on the Sea of Galilee during the daytime. We don't catch fish at day. Notice what Peter's saying is, I'm a fisherman. I know how to fish. You're a carpenter. Build houses. And he says, but if you want me to, I will. There's the passive aggressive. And he drops the net down, and all the fish rush into it, and they get it on the boat, and they almost swamp the boat. Oh, how about that day when, or that night when Jesus came walking on the water? Remember that story? And uh, Peter says, oh my, he goes, tell me to get out of the boat and walk on water and I'll come to you. And Jesus says, come on out. And Peter actually starts walking on the water until he sees the wind and the waves. And guess what? He starts to drown. Help me, save me. Or how about when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, God has revealed that to you. And he blesses him. He says, you're going to be used mightily. Then Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. And Peter goes, not on my watch. I'm not going to let you go to the cross. I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus says, man, you're acting like Satan. Get behind me. Remember that? But, you know, each time it's like Peter just can't get to that place where he can become God-dependent. It's always what I'm going to do. And the biggest example of that is found over in Matthew chapter 26. So open your Bibles to that passage, would you please? This is really a sad scene. Jesus is is, uh, moving toward the cross now. and He's telling his disciples. And watch Peter's response. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Notice that, I never will. And who are the all? That's his buddies. Even though they may fail you, I will be there with you. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Uh, Peter declared, you hear that demonstrative language? He declares, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. And I think they did because Peter said it and they felt like they needed to own up too. Uh, Peter's like, I'm going to be with you all the way, Lord. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it. I can protect you. I'll die with you if I have to. Now, flip over to Luke chapter 22. And let's see what happens as a result of this whole deal. Because Jesus has just been arrested, and he's been taken. And it says in verse 54, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some were there, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, 
this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. But an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, looked into his eyes. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord that had been spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Oh, man, did he crash hard. He came off the bike and he hit hard. And you sense his ego has been, has been fractured. His pride has been shattered, broken. Do you ever wonder how Jesus looked at Peter? Do you think he looked at him with eyes that said, you failure, you loser, you've let me down, you didn't keep your word, you're not my friend anymore, I'm done with you. Do you think that's how Jesus looked at Peter? I don't think so. As I read the Gospels, I think the way Jesus looked at Peter was with a message that said, Peter, I told you this was going to happen, I warned you. You are not invincible, and you are not ultimately in control, Peter. But I have prayed for you that God will keep you, and I'll see you on the other side. I'll see you on the other side. How do you think Jesus looks at you when you fail? When the plans that you conceive and try to work out don't happen. How does he look at you when you sin? You say and do and think things that are wrong. When you let him down, and you let your parents down, or you let your kids down, you let your friend down. How do you think Christ looks at you? See, here's the deal. I think a lot of us imagine Jesus looking at us the way we tend to see ourselves. And with the exception of few who have a lot of arrogance and really can't honestly see themselves very well, most people I run into, most followers of Jesus that I run into, who when they blow it, look at themselves don't see themselves the way Jesus does. They see themselves in a very self-damning way. We tend to look at ourselves and want to kick ourselves. We get angry with ourselves. We just look at ourselves and say, how many more times are you going to do this? And we just, we get so exasperated, or others get so exasperated with us, we project it on God and soon God feels the very same way toward us. But I'm here to tell you that he doesn't. He does not look at you and me that way. See, that little game some of us play is, is we get very pharisaical and we get angry with ourselves. We say, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to be good. I'm just going to be good. And then we try to be good. And we're good for like five days, ten days. Maybe we're good even for a whole month. And then all of a sudden, bam, we blow it. And we go back down again and we try to find some way to redeem ourselves. Do you see the ego in that? I got to find a way to redeem myself, make myself acceptable to God. You can't. You can't ever make yourself good enough for God to say, I want you. God wants you as bad and as messed up as I am and you are. He wants us. And he went on the cross and he paid for our sins to forgive us, to make us acceptable in his sight. Hallelujah. Amen. And we're forgiven. And we're forgiven. And with God, I know we say this a lot, but it's so true. Listen, with God, failure's not final. I'm so glad. But God, failure is never final. So how do you move on then when you've blown it? Write this down. By taking responsibilities for your failures. By taking responsibility 
for your failures. You know, when you look at the life of Peter, you never see him, you know, when this whole thing is done, you don't see Peter coming to Jesus later on after resurrection saying, you know, Lord, it's really John's fault. I would have messed around, messed up in the garden, but John, John was supposed to be there with me, and he, he sat 10 feet away from me, and he didn't, he didn't like encourage me or say, Peter, don't, don't, don't do that. He didn't say, well, you know, my parents weren't very good. If I had had a better home, Lord, I probably wouldn't be like this. Because the way my old man treated me when I was growing up, I just happened to be this way. Doesn't blame his parents. He doesn't blame the weather. No, you never hear, you never hear Peter blame anybody for, for his mess up. You know, it says in Proverbs 28, 13, these words, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will, ah, finish it with me, receive mercy. Isn't that beautiful? God says, you know, if you just confess, admit your wrongs and turn to me, you'll receive mercy. You'll receive mercy. We just live in a culture today that wants to blame everybody and everything for our problems and our issues. Isn't that true? It's my spouse's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my, you know, it's, it's my kid's fault. It's the boss's fault. It's the church's fault. It's the government's fault. And on and on and on and on. Now, I understand that parents and kids and friends and boss, and I understand that people can, can influence our lives. I understand that, right? They can, they can make life hard for me. But I have to be the one who chooses to sin. Nobody can make me sin. Nobody makes me look at internet pornography. Nobody makes me get drunk with alcohol. Nobody makes me have an affair. Nobody makes me fly into a rage or become bitter or to threaten or be angry or to gossip or to cheat. I choose to do that, right? I make that choice. And I can't receive God's forgiveness. I can't enjoy his grace. I cannot, as we sang earlier, I cannot run free. Made me want to dance, but you don't want to see me dance, all right? We were singing that song. I thought, you know, yeah, run free. Don't you want to run free? It's just a great vision in my mind. I just want to run free. I can't run free if I don't own up to my stuff and confess it. And that's one of the things that begins to peel pride away from our lives. There's a great scene in the Rocky movie, the last one, where Rocky's talking to his son. They're talking about some issues in life. And at the very end, Rocky deals this whole issue of blaming others. And I want you to watch what he says. Now, I'm asking you as a favor not to go through with this, okay? This is only going to end up bad for you, and it's going to end up bad for me. You think I'm hurting you? Yeah, in a way you are. That's the last thing I ever wanted to do. I know that's not what you want to do, but that's just the way that it is. Don't you care what people think? Doesn't it bother you that that people are making you out to be a joke and that I'm going to be included in that? Do you think that's right? Do you? You ain't gonna believe this. But you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful 
It was great just watching you. Every day was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. Did you get that? You're better than that. You're better than that because of what God's done in your life. You know, we don't have to blame others. We can just open up, be honest, and be forgiven. Which takes me to the last thing I want you to write down. Let go of your guilt. I have to let go of my guilt. Learn from my losses. Take responsibility for my failures. And then finally let go of my guilt. And move on. And God, God wants us to move on. God doesn't want us to stay in our guilt and our shame and our sin. Because he's forgiven us for those things. You know, it says in Mark chapter 16, the angel at the, the tomb, it's empty, and he speaks. And he says, don't be alarmed. He said, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter. And I'll stop there a minute. Why doesn't he just say go and tell his disciples? Why does he point out Peter? Because if you're Peter right now, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? You're feeling like, there's no hope for me. I, I, there's no hope for me whatsoever. And so, and so it's very important that Peter knows that there's hope. So tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. Let Peter know he's waiting for him on the other side. Not to ream him out. Not to humiliate him. Not to be angry with him but to restore him. And John 21 has a beautiful picture of where Jesus loves Peter and forgives him and restores him and calls him to ministry again. Failure is not final. God wants you to move forward. You know, when motocross men and women are riding their bikes, and especially in competition, they, uh, they encounter mud that's flung up in their masks, right? And, you know, if you get too much mud, you can't what? You can't see. And so they, they have these different ways of kind of helping themselves out. And they've got this little tab. You pull it, it slides over this clear plastic, which gives you vision once again. And as often as they get muddy, they pull it and they get clarity, right? You know, in our lives, it's called forgiveness. How many times should I forgive someone? Remember the answer? Seven times 70, as often as they ask it. Now, if God's telling you and me to forgive others as often as they sincerely ask for it, what is that saying about how God treats you and me? When I ask God to forgive me, what will he do? He'll forgive me. Here's the deal. I have to be sincere when I say forgive me, and sincerity is seen by a change of my attitude and a change in my action. But as often as I'm sincere and come before God and say, I'm truly sorry, 
He will forgive me. He wants me to move on. God wants you to move on. God wants to take the wreckage, the brokenness, the weakness, the failure in your life and my life, and he wants us to walk away from it in humility and dependence, no longer on ourselves, no longer on our strength, no longer on our own ability, but dependence on him. And you see that happen in Peter's life. Because the Peter of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is not the same Peter you encounter in the book of Acts. Something's happened to Peter in the book of Acts. His self-dependence is gone, and he's now living in God-dependence. And in that sweet humility and weakness, there is a power that comes to be in Peter's life. He gets up in Acts chapter 2, and he preaches a sermon. And 3,000 people's lives are changed as a result of the power in that message given to him by God because Peter is there in his humility and brokenness. But I think the most beautiful picture of all is found in Acts chapter 3. It is a different Peter. Peter and John are walking toward the temple. And they are filled with the Spirit. Jesus is resurrected. He's gone. He's given them the Spirit. And listen to what it says. It's a beautiful picture of healing in Peter's life and in a lame man's life. One day, Peter and John were going up the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he, was, where he was put every day to beg from those going into temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, which reminds me of Jesus looking straight at Peter. Now Peter's looking straight at this man who's weak, and, and his weakness is very physical, right, and spiritual, And it says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He got a whole lot more than he thought he was going to get. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. So you got Peter sitting there saying, you know, I don't have any money to give you. I'm poor. But what I have, I give to you. Now, is Peter going to give him his own advice? Is Peter going to give him some positive energy? Is Peter going to tell him a joke to make him laugh? Is Peter going to give something from Peter? No, watch this. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I hope to see that DVD in heaven, don't you? Isn't it a wonderful transformation in Peter's life? Going from this kind of cocky, arrogant disciple who thought he could do everything in his own strength to being broken by his own failure, to being healed and restored, who in his humility now is dispensing the very power of God. Look at the picture of that lame man. Lame and begging, 
Look how when he's infused with the power of God, he's walking and leaping and praising God. I'm here to tell you this morning that no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter how often it's happened, if you'll just come before God and let him take your pain and your brokenness and humble you to dependence on him, he'll do equally great and mighty and powerful things through your life too. And you need to believe that. Now I need to believe it. And we need to give God a hand. Because he can do it. Because he's a God of grace. He's a God of grace. And so I want you to listen to this song that talks about how God takes our pain and he works it for good and brings joy into our lives. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Only God can take our weaknesses and turn them into his power if we'll just depend on him. So if you only had 30 days left to live right now, you'd give up your pride, wouldn't you? There's a whole lot of stuff you'd stop caring about, isn't there? And you would just, you'd let sweet humility come out of your life. Why don't we just let that happen anyway? Live out of God's strength and dependence on him. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Maybe there's somebody here this morning who's never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Like so many have the last couple of weeks. It's just been amazing. If you're here this morning, you've never prayed to receive Jesus, or you're unsure of having done that, then right now, pray this prayer with me. Just, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to pray with you silently where I'm at. No matter how young or old you are, pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I've messed up just like Dale has messed up. And I need your forgiveness. I not only need your forgiveness, I need you to come and live in my life forever. I'm turning my life over to you, Lord. I'm sorry for my sins. Help me now to walk with you. And Lord, I commit every day to seeking your way to reading your word receiving your help if you prayed that prayer this morning when the service is over would you come out to the guest center and shake my hand like many others have done and just simply say to me I prayed the prayer so I can put my arm around you and pray for you get some helpful literature in your hand and just encourage you alright if you're a guest I hope to see you out there and don't forget to come back next weekend we wrap up this series isn't it wonderful to leave this place this morning with the opportunity to leave forgiven. Praise his name, amen. And aren't you glad you can leave this place this morning knowing that no matter how bad you messed up, you got a brand new day start, amen? Well then, why are you sitting there? God bless you, have a great day.